Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is so happy that some of you will be watching actual football on Saturday. I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, did you get a ticket in the ballot for Brighton's game or were you one of the lucky ones? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no, I, I missed out. Oh, uh, no. I'm, I'm pr- pretty pretty gutted. Yeah, I was. Uh, it, it's horrible. But I was tier three when actually it's uh, as always. If you're in tier one in all aspects of UK life at present, you're in a better position than than the others. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty choked. Uh, but yeah, next Monday, especially against Southampton, it, it's not a South Coast derby. There's only one derby as far as we're concerned. Uh, but even so, uh, yeah, pretty hacked off. Yeah. Oh, well, never mind. That means we can do our, our quiz, Kieran, which we'll talk more about later. Um, it's it's Newsday, Kieran. Um, but right at the moment, I am thinking not of news, but of Nurse, Richard Nurse, uh, who tweeted the Price of Football bingo card this week, which is brilliant. Uh, thank you, Richard. Boy, did he get us banged to rights. So <laughs> I've been scouring the script to try and make sure there's nothing in there that will that will sit. So we'll, we'll try and look out for that. But And later in this episode, we will hear from Oliver Ash, co-owner of National League Southside Maidstone United. Oliver got in touch with us to politely, sort of, take issue with us to put us right in relation to our coverage of the distribution of the £10 million government grant. So we decided to invite him on the show. Now, producer guy, if... If you are listening, and I know you do occasionally, producer guy, if you are listening, you can underline us, our, and we as much as you like. We all know it was Kieran that Oliver had beef with, which is <laughs> which is why I made sure it was Kieran that did the interview, as you'll find out. Um, uh, on with the news, Kieran, and blimey, you're in it. You're, you're the news. You, you appeared before MPs yesterday on the Digital Culture, Media, and Sport Committee to talk about the effects of grassroots sport of the coronavirus. How did that go? Please tell me that at one stage the chairman said, well, that's all very interesting, Mr. Maguire, but I have no plans to visit Moscow just at the moment. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was uh, when you were invited to give evidence. uh, I I wasn't quite sure how to take that, but uh, but I I made sure that I turned up on time and even wore a proper shirt for once. Mm. Um, It it was a crossbench section of MPs uh, and... uh, but they were they were very well briefed. Mm. Um, so uh, that they were looking at uh, issues in respect of how much is football helping local communities. Now, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, as you know, I live in I work on Merseyside. Uh, Everton in the community do amazing jobs there. So I, I'd spoken to their chair. I'd spoken to the LFC Foundation mm. uh, in respect of Liverpool. I spoke to some other clubs in the Premier League as well and, and other divisions. Um, so I was able to do, do, do a briefing. Um, they also were asking questions with regards to governance, which I think we'll actually cover uh, as, we, as we go through today's show. Um, and then there's a left field question where they said... Uh, 
okay, uh, who would you get to replace Greg Clark? And, and I said, well, uh, my friend Kevin Day, he's, uh, <laughs> he, he's, 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 he's not working seven days a week at present. Um, he's not working one day a week at present. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was that was a bit left field. So I, I did did suggest uh, Nicola Palios at Tranmere Rovers because okay. Nicola is her knowledge of governance and uh, and football is second to none. Uh, if I'm honest, I'd also think Paul Elliott would be a superb choice. Yeah. And if they want to go for somebody younger, and I think this would be a radical choice, but somebody who I have met on occasion who's just amazed me with his depth of knowledge and understanding of the game, I'd actually go for Liam Rossinia, who who's presently uh, involved at Derby County, but he is an incredibly smart guy, well-versed in all aspects of football. Um, and I think it would be would be a change to have somebody younger, mm. um, I think it would be a change to have somebody from a different background, uh, having you know been a player himself, uh, and, and you know him or Paul Elliott. If, if, if the Football Association is supposed to represent the core parts of football, well, the two most important groups in football are players mm. and uh, and fans. So why not have a player? Well, that's uh, an intelligent and radical idea, which is why you can guarantee the FA won't go anywhere near it. I guess was was this committee yesterday that you appeared before, Kieran? Was it? Was this a fact-finding mission with a view to giving more money to sport across the board, or was it simply them trying to find out what the effect of the coronavirus pandemic had been? Well, I mean, the, in, in total, it lasted about three hours. And initially, there there were people who were from uh, sort of a community sport background, but also a health and nutrition background, um, looking at what's happened to us oh, okay. over the course of the pandemic. And it, it's no great surprise. We've all fought, put on a few pounds, but it's not just physically things have deteriorated, mentally as well. Uh, and, and what became very clear, certainly when I was speaking to the people from the likes of Everton in the community, who for me are, are the flagship community scheme within the Premier League, mm. um, it is that the work that they are doing is is unheralded, but also increase, uh, incredibly valuable for every one pound of of, uh, of money that they that they receive themselves. They they generate around about fourteen pounds of what we refer to as as social value. Now, mm. whether that is uh, improving the health because they're involved in disabled sport, they're doing sort of uh, you know walking football, they're they're getting different groups involved. Whether it's crime intervention, whether it's it, it's a, a football club has a badge that people will respect when they won't respect somebody talking to them if, if they're from the local council, from the local church, perhaps, mm. from the, the local police force. Uh, so so football, the football badge opens doors, opens doors and gives engagement. Um, and we should be giving more funding to organisations like this because they deliver results. Yeah, well, we call it in the Palace Foundation, it's the power of the badge, and it, which it opens doors that... <laughs> other middle-aged men can't can't get through it's an astonishing thing but people are so impressed by the, the, a football club badge that they will they give them access to virtually anything and may I say Kieran how proud I am on behalf of your family um that a Maguire was finally giving evidence and not using the words your honor <laughs> your, your mother must be so pleased. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the black sheep now, I suspect. Of course, you're the good boy. What, what have I done to raise a good boy like that? <laughs> um, the post-Brexit arrangement... Sorry by the, for the Irish accent. We can do it because we're, we're Irish, basically. Uh, the post-Brexit arrangements for English football have been announced, Kieran. What do they tell us? 
Yes, so this is a joint announcement from the Premier League, the EFL and the Football Association. Um, I I suspect the Premier League were pretty hacked off that they had to sign up to this in the end. But we are only 30 days now from uh, a change of regime. So so to summarise... Football clubs will no longer be able to take on players who are under 18 from EU countries. Right. So uh, if you think about Arsenal and Cesc Fabregas, Manchester United with Paul Pogba and so on, um, that will be denied access at all levels. Oh. So how are Premier League clubs going to get around this? Well, we, we've seen the likes of Manchester City with the multi-club model. So what they could do is that if they spy, if they see somebody who looks really talented and a good prospect, then to a certain extent they could park those players. In 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 the, you know, Manchester City have got uh, connections with uh, Girona uh, in Spain, in Belgium, and in France as well. So uh, I, I suspect that this will be one path that they will go down to, because uh, if they don't, you know, the, the chance to get some of the top talent. Now this, of course, does give greater opportunities to, to English under. 18 yeah. players at the same time it restricts them from going overseas if, if presumably uh, countries in the eu take a you know, a tit-for-tat approach to this um the the other main issues here are that we're going to move to a sort of a universal recruitment system in terms of whether or not you qualify to come to england so that's going to be points based that will be linked to the number of caps that you have at both full uh, full international and youth level, um, then we when we look at the the quality of the se- of the selling club. So, which league is it in in terms of uh, its its UEFA ranking? Which position in the league it's in? Um, and have they played in any UEFA competitions? And, and this seems a little bit clunky to me because if you are a very good player in a very poor team. Mm. Um, it's going to restrict your ability to come to England to, to, to be snapped up. And we've, of course, we've seen clubs such as Brentford have been superb at recruiting players um, from, from Europe on this basis. Um, um, and uh, it would also be linked to the number of first team minutes that you've had. So that's, that's the second issue. And, and the third issue, and again, this is potentially good for uh, younger England players, is that clubs will be allowed to recruit no more than three players who are under 21 from the EU in a single season and um, no more than six in total. So, uh, you know, at present, if you look at clubs such as Chelsea, they have huge numbers of uh, players from overseas. Um, That's going to leave a gap. Now, how that gap is going to be filled, it could be that those players are recruited from overseas non-EU countries. Equally, it could give opportunities to young England English players as well. This announcement and Scottish. and Scottish, of course. This this and Welsh um, yeah. and Northern Irish. Uh, this announcement, Kieran comes very close to the date of Brexit. Does that imply that it's been thrown together at the last minute or that they've actually been working on it for several years? No, they they have been working on it since Brexit was first announced uh, in in conjunction with the Home Office. Now, the the Home Office's approach has has, has wavered at times, uh, but it does seem to have taken a a harder line in, in recent months. Um, and therefore, I think that the, the three English football 
authorities, the, the Premier League was most keen to have the, the most relaxed rules and the FA was wanted the harshest rules. Mm. So this is what what's, uh, they finally arrived at. I, I think the FA will be a lot happier with this than the, the Premier League itself. OK. As we mentioned, Kieran, the good news is for some of us that we're coming out of lockdown too, or we've just come out of it today. Some fans will be returning to football grounds. But some fans would be paying a lot of money for the privilege, Kieran, wouldn't they? Uh, yes. So, uh, so some, we've, we've had the announcements from some clubs. Um, Chelsea are charging £75. Holy Mary. Or uh, if you want a cheap seat, it's 40 So presumably that will be behind the goal and the 75 will be around about the halfway line. So that's pretty steep. Uh, Spurs are charging £66.75. So that's 65 quid plus a £1.75 um, organisation fee. What? Or, yeah, which, which what? seems daft to me because you can't pay cash on the day. Uh, you know, it's a bit like how you get screwed over by the likes of Ticketmaster if you want a, a ticket for Glastonbury or, or you know, British summertime in the Hyde Park or things of that nature. Um, my, my, my team, Brighton, we're charging £28 or 40 although kids can get in for as little as £4.50 if, if they were quick enough. Liverpool are charging just over 40 quid. So there's a huge range of prices, mm. but it, it does seem to me that the clubs in London uh, are, are charging a very high London premium. So what, how are things at Palace? Uh, well, you won't be surprised to learn, Kieran, that <laughs> officially we find out tomorrow uh, who's in the ballot. And although, to be fair, the way we played the last two games, I wouldn't be unhappy if I wasn't. But um, that's not true. Uh, the, uh, we, we'll find out tomorrow how much the prices are. I, I suspect they'll be at the Brighton end rather than the Chelsea Spurs. I mean, we, Steve Parrish has made very public the fact that he's aware of how badly Croydon has been hit and already poor Borough has been hit very badly by the pandemic. So... I don't think Steve Parrish will be taking advantage of the fact that people are desperate to get in. Well, I hope he won't anyway, please God. But um, uh, I'll, I'll answer that question for you on uh, Sunday, Kieran, to be honest. But I, I just think, again, Chelsea and Tottenham, they can't seem to help themselves. Just as a, just as a PR thing for the first game back, you'd think they'd be saying, look, we, you know, you can't, you're probably not going to be sitting where your season ticket is. We'll try and get you to sit with friends if possible. We won't charge you the full whack for this experience because it's not it's not going to be the same. They're charging the full price for the full experience, and it won't be the full experience. So everyone will be delighted to get back into into football grounds, but they will be going through protocols that they're not used to, and it won't be as much fun. And therefore, I think clubs shouldn't be charging the full whack. It's just it sits badly with me, and I hope I hope to be able to report that Palace are not doing that. Um, Celtic and Rangers, Kieran. Uh, Celtic and Rangers are having very different results on the pitch, but both have just published their latest financial results. How are they getting on? Sorry, that's a bit one show, that intro, wasn't it? It's like, <laughs> the old firm, Karen. How, how are the old firm doing? Are, are their accounts olding firm? <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, uh, they, they've both made losses, um, but that's not surprising in, in the pandemic world. Uh, Celtic... Celtic's business model is that they try to sell one player a year and, and they, they offset their losses. They cover their losses through that. And they did that through the sale of uh, Kieran Tierney. Um, but the gap in between the two clubs has narrowed spectacularly. So 
So two years ago, Celtic uh, were generating £69 million more than Rangers. So that was nearly three times as much in 2018. That gap has dropped from £69 million to £11 million. Um, Yeah, that's a huge... And and potentially, if Rangers do have a good Europa League this summer, um, they could overtake uh, Celtic, uh, which nobody thought was possible a few years ago. Um, the wage gap has has dropped. The transfer spend has uh, has has sort of got a lot closer. Celtic are having to spend more money, um, but so what we've seen with Rangers is that they've not sold any players at a profit for for a fair while. You know, in, in terms of sort of making a decent deal, um, but they've now got lots of sale about saleable assets, the likes of Morelos and so on. So uh, their their business model could now sort of replicate that of. Of Celtic, so there, there is genuine competition. I feel uh, at the top uh, of of Scottish football. In, in my observation, Celtic are a bit like the the, the UK motorcycle industry in, in sort of in the fifties and sixties, where they had a monopoly. That they didn't really feel that they had to do very much, and and they became complacent. Um, and that's why we saw the death of the you know, the, the UK mot- motorcycle industry. Uh, as soon as the, the the Japanese companies came in, everybody realised that you know they were they were quicker, more reliable, uh, more fun to ride on occasions as well, and they just destroyed the market. So. Celtic, uh, I think they've taken their eye off the ball and they're now paying a price. Um, in Scotland, it's so important to get into Europe because the, 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 the value of the TV deals is huge compared to the Scottish deal itself. Mm. Scott, uh, Celtic made around about £3 million from winning the Scottish Premiership. Um, if you get into the, if you just get into the group stages of the Champions League, you get £30 million. So, uh, what might happen next season, given that, that Rangers have got a, a commanding lead at present uh, in the Scottish Premiership? You know that that's going to increase their chances. Um, and then, then yesterday, uh, something very strange happened. Dave King, who is the the former chairman of Rangers, uh, he said, "I'm, I'm going to sell all of my shares to the fans." Mm. Uh, and uh, this is uh, this is to this is what's referred to as Club eighteen seventy two, who are a Rangers fan group. Mm. That they presently own five percent of the shares. Um, he's he's going to sell uh, his shares. the 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 upside is that it would, if this deal goes through, and and he's giving them three years to raise the money. Uh, it would mean that the the fan group, well, it would be the biggest shareholders. Uh, in Rangers, which we and we're all for the democratization mm. of football. The downside of that is that somehow they've got to raise thirteen million pounds over that period. So they're now trying to uh, persuade fans, but you know it's it would be a, a pretty tough ask. It, w- it would need effectively twenty six thousand fans to put in five hundred pounds each mm. into this, and you know pe- people in Scotland are suffering from the pandemic just as much as we are. Um, but it, it's certainly quite radical, and he, he could have sold his shares to, to one of the other shareholders a lot quicker and probably got a wee bit more money. Uh, but you know, this uh, you know, Dave King said that Scottish football, or rather, what happened at Rangers when he first arrived, where they, it was a it, it was a, it was a complete bun fight yeah. at board level, he doesn't want that to go through again, and, and he wants fan representation there. Uh, to try to keep the other directors in check. So uh, intriguing times. 
Yes, indeed. Kieran, as you know, normally when we discuss a subject, it's gone. It's dead to me. It's out of my mind completely. But whilst I was paying 100% attention to your Celtic and Rangers discussion just then, as I was, it it just occurred to me talking about um, the prices for Premier League games over the weekend. um, Palace are allocating 2,000 season ticket holders. So I've already paid for my ticket. If I get a ticket in the ballot, I've already paid for it. Why is that not the same with the with Chelsea and Tottenham, surely they've got enough. Did they not sell season tickets? Is that the case? I I think they have taken money from season ticket holders, but um, because you're not going to get your original seat back, um, they've they've changed the rules. I mean, certainly that's the case. You know, I've, I've paid for my season ticket in Brighton. So if you are successful in the ballot, that the value of the seat that you acquire is deducted from the amount of money that you've given to date. So let, let's say that you've got a ticket, Kev, your season ticket, and and the the value is say thirty five pounds per match. Yeah. Now it could be that you end up with a with a seat on the on the halfway line for which Palace normally charge forty five pounds. So I, I suspect it's going to be something along those lines. Okay. Um, seven, seven, form seven. That's a lot. Seven former. Well, it's not a lot. It depends what the subject is, isn't it? it could be very few. Um, seven <laughs> former Premier League players, including Rob Lee, Warren Barton, and John Beresford, uh, are suing a financial advisor who they say cost them more than two million pound in missold pensions. Yes, um, and um, this is this is a classic case of if it sounds too good to be true. Yeah then it's not going to be true, which which has always been the case, apart from, of course, that occasion my Russian girlfriend brought her sister around. <laughs> well, bingo, um, hang on. I'm just ticking my bingo card. There you go. <laughs> I think that's two, Russian girlfriend and sister. There you go. If that had happened, um, if that had happened in Derby, Kieran, we'd be paying out a fortune on bingo every week, wouldn't we? And now I've said, I've said Derby now, so what was I thinking? <laughs> so so these, these are seven players uh, formerly of Newcastle. Now, some of them are willing to be named. So we, we know that Warren Lee, sorry, Warren Lee, Warren Barton mm-hmm. and Rob Lee are a couple. I think John Beresford was a third. Um, and they were advised by a gentleman called Kevin Neal. Now, Kevin Neal is currently banned from being a director of a company for six years, right. which doesn't sound too good. Um, the allegations are that he gave them fraudulent and negligent advice on unregulated offshore schemes. Yeah, th- this is where this is where producer guy sends all of the money <laughs> from from the advertising for this show yeah. uh, to to the British Virgin Islands, and we've discussed them. You know, we've discussed that before, uh, where we, we don't feel over comfortable. And it turned out that the money was invested in overseas teak plantations oh, which didn't which didn't generate a lot of wood now at our age we know that that's a bit, <laughs> a bit of a problem <laughs> you speak for yourself carry on <laughs> um and uh and and the value of the investments has turned out to be in in some cases completely worthless oh. um and, and this has resulted in in uh, the players having to sell sell their assets in, uh, perhaps even sell their homes um this guy, Kevin Neal, he was previously also subject to, to litigation from Alan Shearer, who put in a £9 million claim against him, wow. although he settled. I think he settled out of court for £100,000 because it looked as if the, the, the costs of the, the court case itself would have been so prohibitive that, that nobody would have made money. Um, so I think it just does go to show 
if, if you are a footballer, um, be careful. Just be cautious. It, 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 it's always the case. If it sounds too good yeah. to be true, it isn't when it comes to investments. Um, and if somebody does persuade you to go for high risk assets, uh, you know, a high risk asset to me is is uh, is, is Walsham's go dog dog track yeah. and you know and going on a particular uh, you know you want to go for the yellow jersey or whatever you know that that's a high risk asset and 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 approach it in the same way. The chances are high risk is high risk of losing. Yeah, I think the yellow jersey is cycling, Kieran, but you know. Outside football and cricket, sports not really that important, is it? And I suppose, though, as well, for those players like Rob Lee and John Beresford, they were Premier League players, but they were playing at a time when, if you retired at the age of 30, 32, you probably hadn't made quite enough money to see you comfortable for the rest of your life, had you, I suppose. So that sort of pension scheme would have seemed quite tempting, I, I, I assume. Yes, and, and, and that's how. That's how these people make money. Yeah. You know that they 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 sell you a dream. Um, you know, and, and if and if you if you offer people Xanadu and, and you deliver them Croydon, then it's it, they're not going to be happy. Yeah, I'll let that pass. Um, this this story, Kieran, perhaps unsurprisingly, hasn't been given quite the headline treatment it should have been. But Manchester United could be fined fifteen million dollars if they give in to the demands of hackers who are allegedly holding the club to ransom by threatening to leak highly sensitive information, which I presume would be the database of fans. My first question on this, Kieran, why could they be fined $15 million? Uh, Well, the reason for that is that that Manchester United Football Club PLC has its shares traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Now, Uh, uh, one of the rules of the New York Stock Exchange is that they are opposed to the payment of what's known as ransomware, where a um, where a group of hackers, you know, cracks their way into a system and then holds the company to ransom. Um, Yeah, we've seen this with the NHS. Uh, we've seen this with American hospitals and, and many other institutions, and, and what they do is they say, well, you know, if you if you if you pay us money, um, then we will give you your email systems back, your systems back. Um, apparently, and I only found this by doing a bit of research. Um, this did actually happen earlier uh, to an EFL club. Um, which ended up it crippled the systems of the club. It wasn't able to sell tickets because you were, didn't have access to the database for fans. Oh, right. So so there were things of this nature. And apparently that the hackers demanded payment in Bitcoins because, of course, that's that's untraceable. Oh, right. um, and, and that was around about £300,000. Now, by all accounts, Manchester United, a far bigger operation. Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's it's alleged that the, uh, the hackers are based in uh, Eastern Europe um, and they have access to things such as Manchester United scouting system oh, right, and right. their their top picks for transfers over the next couple of windows, which you wouldn't want to get leaked. Mm. Um, and and uh, you know, people might be aware that there was there was an issue between Liverpool and Manchester City uh, a few years ago, where um, it, it appeared that the the, the passwords for uh, Manchester City's uh, scouting system software uh, ended up somewhere on Merseyside. Um, and, and I believe that Liverpool Football Club paid some form of recompense to Manchester City at the time. So that's why those two clubs 
don't always get on at all levels. I mean, they get on at manager level, oh, okay. um, but th- there is a bit of hostility uh, in, in respect of that. Um, but it, it, it's it's a classic f- fishing example, and, and we're getting it every day. I don't know about you, but I I'm, I had two phone calls today from you know, various people claiming that, oh, there was a problem with my PAYE number, and they claimed to be from the HMRC mm. uh, and things of this nature, and, and it's happening increasingly often. Hmm. I shall look out for that. If somebody from Crystal Palace phones up and says they've got a season ticket for me, I shall take no notice. Um, (laughs) Talking of Manchester United and highly sensitive information, Ryan Giggs Limited made a profit of 1.3 million in 2019. That intro will never make the edit. Uh, (laughs) But... But yes, yeah, so Ryan Giggs trousers. No, I shouldn't say trousers with Ryan Giggs. Should I? Uh, that one probably won't make the edit either. Um, Ryan Giggs made a profit of one point three million pound in two thousand and nineteen. That's not bad, is it? it it's it's not bad. Um, but there's some other sort of snippets in it. Um, Ryan Giggs Limited also lent to a one point eight million pounds to somebody called Ryan Giggs Interest Free. <laughs> Um, Hang on, so, so, so is that to Ryan Giggs hyphen interest free or to Ryan Giggs interest free? <laughs> to Ryan Giggs interest free. Oh, okay, yes. right. Um, and uh, so I thought, well, I mean, what what are the tax consequences for this? And, and for that, I always go to my good friend Ian Goodwin, who is my tax guru, uh, and he said HMRC won't be over impressed by that unless he repays the loan so he could have to go and pay up to five hundred and eighty five thousand pounds on that loan uh he might have to pay national insurance as well but we are seeing more and more of this so so marcus rashford for example um he's the director of a company called mucs enterprises limited he's also taken out an interest-free loan from that company um and then, as, as you know, I, I like a bit of small print in a set of accounts, Kevin. Indeed. Um, and uh, there, was, there was a bit uh, right at the very end of the accounts of Ryan Giggs Limited where it looked at the investments of the company. And it said that as a result of COVID, uh, the value uh, of those investments had fallen by £180,000 in 2020. I thought, well, you, know, you don't wish that upon anybody. Mm-hmm. And it then said, oh, that's a 2% fall. So got out the calculator. So the total value of the investments held by Ryan Giggs Limited is 9 million quid. Okay. So that's a good night out. Yeah, yeah, even for Ryan Giggs, that's a good night out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. uh, Swindon fans are calling for clarity from Chairman Lee Power after two High Court cases cast doubt over who actually owns the club. Is this a similar situation to Charlton? Uh, no, this this is very weird in the sense that uh, this this relates to a um, a former player who is now Gareth Barry's agent called Michael Standing, um, and uh, he was at he was at Villa with Gareth Barry, and then he sort of moved on in terms of a career. So he became Gareth Barry's agent. Um, and, and he's claiming that he owns uh, a significant part of Swindon Town. And, and, the, and the problem here is that the, the Swindon owner, Lee Power, is trying to sell the club. And he says, yes, I know that part of the club is owned by somebody else, but it's not Michael Standing. Oh. He's claiming that it's it's Gareth Barry. Oh. And 
So there's there's this ongoing uh, this ongoing dispute, but of course it's slowing down the the, the potential sale of Swindon Town. Um, our our silver tongued friends are of course. Uh, rubbing their hands with glee because this is this is an opportunity to take this to court to try to establish exactly what is happening here. Um, it, it's, it does seem very complex and very messy. Uh, I think it, whilst the relationship with uh, with Lee Power and Swindon Town fans isn't on a Steve Dale and Berry fans level, mm. it's not far from it because uh, Lee Power says, you know, the, the club's still going, I'm subsidising the club and things of this nature. But there does seem to have been, once again, a classic breakdown in communication. And, and we're seeing this too often. Uh, if, if, uh, if club owners are upfront with people, if they are transparent, then you, you can win over uh, the fans because you're just being honest with them. And, and there's there's too much of he said and she said and uh, a lack a lack of clarity in issues of this nature. Kira, you know I'm hopelessly naive about business and, and money, which is why I'm hosting this and you're living in a huge house in Sussex. Um, but why is it so difficult to prove who owns a football club unless somebody's gone to extraordinary lengths to hide the fact that they own the football club? I don't understand that. Well, if, if shares are held in trust, and, and we, we can have, th- there are various forms of trust, and, and trying to get to try to work out who is behind the trust can be complicated, especially if it itself is located overseas. Oh, so, okay. uh, you know, number plate ownerships, and, and this is why I, I feel uncomfortable that we've got clubs in the Premier League and in the EFL who are controlled in the Cayman Islands or are controlled in British Virgin Islands and things of this nature, the Isle of Man and the Channel Islands, uh, it, it doesn't reflect well on the game mm. in terms of trying to work out who are the ultimate owners are. All right, okay, to Spain now, Kieran, a couple of stories from there. Barcelona's players have agreed to a wage cut, a quite substantial one as well by the look of it. Um, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be around about 40%. Uh, yeah, we're, we're talking hundreds of millions of euros in total. and They've already taken a wage cut in 29-20. Um, it looks as if all of the clubs in La Liga have, uh, have agreed to what they call their squad cost caps. And I sort of did a bit more delving into this. And, and what happens is, is at the start of the season, the clubs agree how much they're going to spend in total on wages and transfers. Now, the one thing that we've seen in Spain this summer is that nobody is signing players. Mm. So, you know, clearly this is this is linked to the problems that they've had. Um, the, the Spanish TV deal isn't as lucrative as that of as the Premier League. Um, we know that Barcelona and Real Madrid make huge sums of money not just from hosting matches because they've got those those very large stadiums, but they also, of course, have the museums. They also have the, the stadium tours and all of those things. So they've really been uh, chopped off at the knees in terms of their ability to generate revenue. Um, and by all accounts, the players are going along with this because um, I, th- I think the contracts in Spanish football are significantly different to, to those of the UK. If, if an English club, if, if a Premier League club said to a player, we're going to unilaterally put through a 30% pay cut, the player could legitimately say, well, in which case I'm off ski. Yeah. yeah, and Atletico Madrid's debt is now just short of 1 billion euros. Yeah, this is scary. They announced huge losses, total debts, 990 million, 999 million euros. 
Um, they're going to lose money this year as well. So those debts are going to increase. Uh, and, and, and I suspect that they're going to have to be in negotiations with their creditors. Some, some of these creditors are, are banks. Some of them will be other football clubs. And, and my big fear in football is, is a potential domino effect if we get one or two clubs who, who don't pay outstanding instalments on transfer fees uh, it could ripple through the whole of European football mm. um, Now we're coming up for our interview but there will be people listening to this who go hang on a second Kieran said there are going to be some stories about governance where's our stories about governance well your patience has been rewarded my friends for those of you who are hopping from foot to foot waiting for the governance stories uh, although why you'd be listening to this standing up I don't know um Stacy Cartwright who was leading the search for a new FA chairperson has quit possibly because she heard your lunatic suggestions yesterday Kieran <laughs> well, very possible. Yes, I mean, Stacey Cartwright was, was part of a six-person panel who were, were due to um, replace the FA chair. And clearly, I've made my own suggestions here. Um, and she also had the casting vote. Uh, so if, if, if it was a three, three and three, she would have made that casting vote. Um, Ten days after being appointed to uh, effectively control or, or organise this particular activity, um, she resigned. And the, 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 the story behind this or the allegation behind this is in respect to one of the, the FA members called Brian Jones, uh, not the one who was in a pop group in the 1960s, I presume. Um, well, him, him being dead would probably put pay to that scenario. Well, if, 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 if we're talking to people on the FA, <laughs> Kevin, you're never too sure. Fair point. Um, but this, this is actually a pretty disgusting story. Um, this guy, Brian Jones, he put up on social media, people who eat pork pies are left lo- are less likely to blow themselves up. Wow. And that's a that's a wow. pretty offensive comment. Absolutely. Now I suspect he's not talking about vegetarians yeah, here. Fair point. Yeah, of course. No, obviously um, not. No. So, you know, so we, so we're talking some and uh, you know, I've got I've got friends of all races and religions and you know, plenty of them don't eat particular foods. So it, it's 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 a, it's a it's a foul thing to say. Yeah, it's grossly offensive. Um, and at the time, he he was effectively struck off by the FA in terms of his rights, but they've just restored his ticketing and hospitality rights Jeez. as an F, as an FA individual. Um, now, given what we've just seen with Greg Clark, uh, given what you know, I, I don't know whether you've seen the the Anton Ferdinand yep. program on on BBC, which I thought was uh, pretty enlightening. You know, I, I, and there were things there which I weren't aware of. Yeah. Um, the FA hasn't come out of this looking too good. Um, and the FA is now saying, oh, well, Stacey resigned due to work commitments. Mm-hmm. And don't don't take us for idiots. Yeah. So um, what's going to happen is the FA are now going to find a, a new, and, and Stacey, Stacey Cartwright was an independent director at the FA. Uh, yeah, you, you've heard me mention on more than one occasion that, I was disappointed that the EFL rejected the recommendations that the EFL have three independent yeah. directors. Yeah. Football authorities do not like scrutiny from from outside. 
Um, and this is this is another slap in the face, I think, for for us as fans. You know, we're not we're not being treated uh, with uh, you know as, as if we've got any common sense with regard to this in in terms of what's come out. But also, uh, it just is further evidence of the total insensitivity of people at the FA. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got plenty of evidence of that. Maybe we should just put the FA on the, the Romans podcast as a whole. Um, I'm aware that we are up against it time-wise, Kieran, and we've still got that Oliver Ash intro to come. So I'm going to mention this story and then defer it uh, in more detail for Monday's questions pod, because it's it's a story that we need to talk about, but we don't have time to do it justice now. But basically, two more high-profile administrators, Sepp Blatter, uh, and Michelle Platini, and you couldn't get much higher profile than that, are facing charges of fraud from Swiss federal prosecutors. And somehow, Kieran, I don't know why, but you put the word Swiss in front of something, it sounds more sinister, like army knife and ramble. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, th- this has been rumbling along. Yeah. Clearly, they've, they've both been up on charges before, but this is, uh, yeah, but just to very quickly summarise... Um, it's it's to do with fraud, mismanagement, misappropriation, and forgery of documents. Um, so you know, Sepp Glatter likes to promote himself as a, as a twinkly-eyed uh, old uncle of football, but you know, when you hear about things of this nature and his relationship with Platini and some unusual payments historically, that doesn't reflect very well on anyone. This episode of the Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, well, we we will talk about more in detail on Monday. We'll also talk more as well because the the new Champions League format has been unveiled today. But I, I'm going to take a couple of days to to wrestle because my initial look at it, as when you referred me to it, so I was, kind of went cross-eyed trying to work it out. So um, again, we haven't quite got time to do that justice, but we will do when we meet again on Monday, Kieran. If that's okay, yeah, is that, splendid. Is that you sure? Absolutely. All right. I can't see your face because I, you know, sometimes I say if Ali's in a different room, I go, "Is that okay?" 
She'll go, yeah, and without seeing her face, I don't know if it's true. <laughs> um, in recent weeks, Kieran, we have talked a lot about the distribution of the government grant to national league teams and talked to Ben Clasper, chair of Dulwich Hamlet, and Jeff Banks, director of Chester FC. I thought we'd covered it quite well, to be honest, but Oliver Ash, co-owner of Maidstone United, disagreed with some of our analysis, so we thought it was only fair that we should discuss it with him, or rather, I thought it was only fair you should discuss it with him. And here's the interview. Oliver, thanks very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Um, I think I think we're slightly on your naughty step, Oliver, uh, in respect of uh, the way that we covered the, the government's £10 million support package for the National League. And, and more importantly than that, the way that the money is being split. It's the cut of the cake that's important. Uh, you felt that our analysis well, didn't quite hit the spot. So we, we thought it'd be great to get you on the show. And you kindly said yes. Um, most of what you said, or most of what you wanted to clarify, centred around the things the National League has claimed to have happened, but you say they didn't. So could you just sort of set us straight on those issues? Yeah, with with pleasure. I mean, I don't have a naughty step anymore because the kids are teenagers, but uh, you wouldn't be on it anyway. Um, and yes, there, there were there were a number of things. I think because because as I as I said, your pod is is so avidly listened to by so many people who are influential in football it was important that certain things um i felt weren't quite right um in this subject would were, were were put right and and there's a number of different things really um and because the i mean you cover an awful lot of subjects and this is just one small subject in in the big big pool um it's it's not surprising that some of the detail and it's very fast changing we've had an awful lot of exchange of emails uh, there's been discussions and the situation with the National League has gone so fast that things are changing all the time. Um, but I'll, if maybe I could just um, refer to one or two things that were said. Um, when, when you said that there's no chance of an independent review panel changing the distribution which the National League uh, decided on, um, I think there is. Um, the National League finally did agree to, to, to refer the distribution to a panel um, we were concerned it should be independent. I'm comfortable that the panel is independent and that uh, there's every chance that given the, uh, the nature of the, um, the, the members of that panel, um, who are all quality people, that they will take a common sense and, and fair view of it and make a change which will help the clubs that are in financial difficulty now because of the distribution decision. Um, you know, the, the other, there's a lot of detail to it. They, they did hold a Zoom meeting, but they said... It, you said that nobody attended it. We did actually attend it. Um, the National League said that it was only members of North and South that attended it. That's true, uh, but it doesn't mean that there aren't some 15 clubs who have put their names to the objection and the criticism, uh, and many of those clubs are in the National Division. Um, the, the National League said that the model adopted did take into account attendances and lost gate receipts, um, they, they didn't really, and, and that was what the government had said they would provide funds to compensate our lost gate receipts. It's a key element. And the National League decided um, twice, really, because when they thought about it again, they decided to maintain their position to arbitrarily um, do a division that wasn't based on lost gate receipts. And we'd been promised that it would be. 
So many of our clubs now are, are in financial shortfall as a result. Uh, and we haven't yet, despite many requests, been given an explanation for why the National League chose a distribution decision which gives some clubs five or six times as much in compensation per absent spectator as other clubs. So that's quite an important thing. Um, nine clubs against the distribution, does that mean 50-odd clubs in favour? Not really. There are, as I say, probably 15 clubs who have um, spontaneously come together. We haven't, uh, we haven't spent all of our time trying to rally clubs. We've had 15 that have come together and um, that 15 should come together on this issue and that nine of those clubs should say we demand the resignation of the chairman of the league uh, I think is a very important and firm mm. statement that something badly wrong has happened here. Um, then if another thing that I think you, you mentioned was that the distribution model would have had to be approved by the National Lottery. That's not in fact the case. The National Lottery, as uh, same as the FA, both, both of them said that they delegated that decision completely to the National League and they didn't want to be involved in that decision. It was up to the National League. So... Um, it's not. It was ultimately approved, um, but they didn't look through it. They just assumed the National League knew what they were doing and had, had done a sensible distribution. Um, and attendance isn't the only reason money is distributed historically. Now that's that's absolutely right. The the National League has a distribution system which is consistent with the Football League, where the top division gets more than the bottom divisions. But in this case, this is a once in a lifetime distribution of funds specifically to compensate lost gate receipts it's not a general fund um, which is used year on year to distribute um, solidarity payments from the premier league uh, sponsorships it is a specific payment which is designed to cover primarily lost gate receipts and it's very simple in our view that it should cover lost gate receipts and if had it been decided that way in the beginning um, some two months ago now we wouldn't be discussing this now and no club could reasonably have objected because the, the money would have been distributed in a way which would, would have corresponded to government wishes and would have compensated clubs properly for their losses. Okay, that, that sounds very clear. So, so where are we now? Have you received any money from the National League to date? Because you, you've had to go and pay, presumably, the November wage bills. And, and you know, from and my, and you know, I've been discussing this with Kevin for some time. I've always said the key point is, can you meet your monthly costs? And, of course, the largest cost for a football club is, is, is meeting the wage bill. So where are we at present as far as the National League is concerned? Has any money been distributed? Well, yes. I mean, two payments, two monthly payments have been distributed, which is, which is good news, except that there are as I said, some probably some 20 clubs that are receiving less than they, they, they need according to the shortfall of gate revenue. Um, but they have received two slices of the money for October and November. But we'd suggested that the league uh, make a proviso in making the payments to say that these are on account and that there could be a revision. But the league decided in, in a way to preempt um, that, that um, possible review by simply paying the slices of, of, of money to clubs without any mentioned that there could be a revision. So now the, re the, the, the review committee is meeting on Monday uh, and we will see if, if they decide to make a revision and, and how, they, how they decide to apply it uh, and deal with a particular case of December because in December some clubs are going to have attendances. There are going to be clubs in, in tier two 
who will have attendances. So they'll have to make a compensation. It's, it's not easy. Nothing is easy in the COVID world in terms of finance, but it's not rocket science either. If it's managed correctly, it should be, should be able to be done. And, and then I, that leads me on just to say, had the National League board accepted the advice of their executive back in, um, in early October, uh, they would have adopted a different model and we wouldn't be here um, discussing it. That The executive came up with a model that did respect gate receipts, but for some reason, the board refused to, to listen to that and, and adopted a completely different model. Right. So, so do you think there's been an element of self-interest from the board in, in the way that they designed the model? Well, I have to be careful what I say here, but I would say that um, there are, if you look through the league rule book, and I, I believe that's the sort of thing that, that you would do quite avidly, um, you'll find, as, as I did, that there is an article 23 which describes conflict of interest uh, as it as it as it applies to many uh, companies and organizations and very simply it, it it prevents the board deciding matters where their clubs have an interest in the outcome and despite what the national league said in their long letter to the non league paper um dis- really criticizing the non league paper for having written the article they did on the subject there is a clear conflict of interest in this case, uh, and the board shouldn't have, have made a decision. The, the, the board should have, the chairman should have accepted there was a conflict from the beginning and referred it to an independent committee or the FA or somebody where clubs couldn't vote on things that affected their own clubs directly. And I, one of the directors of the board even went public in the, in, on, on radio, on BBC right after the distribution decision was made to say that um, as far as he was concerned, the board hadn't made the decision, hadn't approved the decision and couldn't have approved the decision because there was a conflict of interest and they couldn't have made the decision, which goes against the fact that the chairman and the vice chairman made it quite clear the board had decided. So not only was there conflict of interest, but there seems to be confusion amongst board members as to actually what was voted on and what wasn't. Right. So you know, clarity. And we, we are very keen, as you're probably aware on the show, we think transparency and governance are, are cornerstones to having faith in football. Um, so clearly, from what you're saying, that you're not comfortable with that at present. Um, what would be a, a fair distribution from your point of view? Should there be any element of National League versus the National League North and South, or would you be happiest with purely uh, a basis on on lost gate receipts because ultimately the the money from the, the lottery fund is there to replace that, that those particular income streams? Well, yes, that's it. Comes back to lost gate receipts, and if you do look do the calculation for for, for lost gate receipts or, or an estimate, because it, nothing's going to be a hundred percent, but it, even if you get to eighty percent. It's better than the current arrangement, which is probably 10%. Um, The National League clubs, on average, will have higher admission prices than North and South. So it's quite logical that that in the end, the the distribution of of money will be something along the lines of 40, 30, 30, because there are higher prices. So, you know, and the National League executive in the model that they described to me six or eight weeks ago when we were discussing this, was one where there would be a, a base figure per, for each club and then the rest would be done on attendances. Um, so there are a number of possible models 
which probably give similar outcomes and which base themselves on lost gate receipts. It's not rocket science to base the calculation on lost gate receipts. That's what the government intended. And, and that's what should happen. As I say, that no club really could complain about that. If there are cases thereafter of clubs having hardship, perhaps the National League could keep some back, um, keep some element uh, of its funding back and have a hardship fund to help clubs that, that can claim they've got specific issues. If a, a club has received compensation for gate receipts but suddenly finds it has to replace two floodlights that have fallen down, there may be a case for helping helping them. I mean, each club, each club has its own problems, has its own sources of funding. Some clubs may have a benefactor that can't pay money because its its business is struggling. Some clubs have a 3G pitch to replace uh, next season. I'm thinking of, for example, of ours. Um, other clubs may have a problem because they rely heavily on an academy, which is at a standstill or a bar. Every club's got a problem. And so every club can claim different things. It's impossible to really to, to make a basis for helping clubs uh, and for this, this distribution to be done and anything more widely than, than lost gate receipts. The, the National League themselves, the executive, said as much in an email to me back in October. They said anything other than National League um, lost gate receipts would be, would be impossible to, to, to put together. It's just impossible to do. They said that themselves, the executive. If, if only there was somebody in football that loved spreadsheets and doing this type of stuff. I, I, I can't think of anybody myself, though, <laughs> though Oliver. I mean, you, you did actually mention, sort of, sort of moving on a little bit, uh, you mentioned that some clubs are coming out of lockdown, they're going to be in tier two and so on. H- how's that going to affect Maidstone United? Well, sadly, um, I mean, I'm delighted for the clubs that can have uh, fans and hopefully there'll be some tier one uh, soon. But unfortunately, Kent is a, is a very high... COVID region, um, there's discrepancies in Kent, um, Mm. very very big discrepancies, but overall the county has been hit and and we're in tier three and it looks like it's going to be in tier three for the foreseeable future. So sadly, we have a a situation of of enduring no fans and we just have to to live with that and try and make ends meet. But it's one reason why the shortfall that we have compared to lost gate receipts, which is something like £25,000 a month, um, it doesn't sound very much to, you know, to, to, to in, the, in the world of mega bucks and, and Premier League football, but it's a lot of money to us. We, mm. we try and run a balanced book. We don't have a benefactor. Um, it's absolutely critical. It means that in the, fir- in the first three months of this odd season, we're down £75,000 just on gate receipts, let alone all the other losses we have to try and find a way of covering. Absolutely. I mean, I've got to ask this question because I, I as you know, I monitor... Uh, company club accounts and i've I've looked as i've I've gone down as far as the national league and and eventually although this may cost me my marriage i do intend to get to national league north and south 21 clubs out of 24 according to my calculations in the national league are losing money do you think there's a there's an underlying problem with non-league football because surely this is not sustainable on a long-term basis well, that's a very good question, isn't it? And it doesn't just apply to non-league football. Uh, it's it, you look at probably League One and League Two, and you'll find similar similar numbers. It's just football. I, I used to say it, it's it's a business that has a, a glamour value. If you if you um, if you try and work out a valuation basis for football clubs, if if you can be bothered to do that, which which amuses me to some degree. 
um, I think you you add in a there's a premium value attached to clubs, which is a kind of um, the value that an owner would put on a club that he wouldn't put on a on, on a sheet metal business or on a you know on a, on a tube of tooth, toothpaste business because there's this glamour. Now, if you go down to the non-league, it seems a bit absurd to think there's any glamour in in, in watching a game with with 300 people and a dog watching, but for, for somebody who, the benefactor, a local person who's made some money and wants to support his local football club, it may be worth putting in 50,000, 100,000, or in some cases more. And that's what skews the, the arrangement. So I, I think football is durably going to have benefactors. And where benefactors hang around for a long time and, and, and put money faithfully into a club, I don't, I don't think it's the wrong model. I don't have a problem with it. Where there's a problem is with, where people like your friend Steve Dale of, of, of Berry and, and other people can come in and, and somehow get round whatever rules there are on, on, on fit owners and, uh, and, and, and then ruin a club and, and kill off a club. And it happens at non-league as well. We've, I've had examples, we've seen examples where that's happened and it's terribly sad for the club. I mean, our club, we went out of business in 1992. It was a long, long road back. And since we, Terry Casey and, and I sort of took over 10 years ago, we made a pledge that we would make sure it was sustainable and, and we would invest in the infrastructure and the um, sort of the bricks and mortar and, and, and plastic grass to make sure that um, we didn't have to invest year on year in the club. The club would make, would tick. And, I, and I'm genuinely pleased to say that in every year since we've, we've made a, a, a trading profit and we, we hope that this year, despite what's going on with the funding, it, it will continue. So from a point of view of the model of the league and, and benefactors, I think that will continue. Should there be a, a restructuring and a rethinking about the way uh, the National League is structured, my view is there should. And that the, the National League was set up as the conference in 1979. And since then, so much more money has gone into football and, and the Premier League, of course, has changed radically the funding and the financing that the National League division, the National Division is no longer what it was, a semi-pro boot money type of uh, division. It is now, to all extent and purposes, a professional division, not far off League Two, really. And I believe that the national division should be part of the football league structure, that the, the famous old 92 clubs now needs to go, go to 110 because there are 110 and it probably can sustain 110. And then the top two divisions of non-league would be the North and South and they could be administered by um, the leagues below. So without wanting to make it sound that I've got a grudge against the national league in any way, which is not the case, I think that the football would be structured better if the level between the football league and the uh, the Isthmian league and the Southern league was was um, was removed as a, as a as a level, and that the football league became four divisions. And then you've got a debate as to whether the bottom two divisions could and should be regionalised at some stage for financial and and environmental reasons to to reduce these ridiculous travel these trips where Torquay go to Gateshead on a Tuesday evening, it's, it, it is a bit nonsensical. So there's lots of other things and it's a wonderful debate that football people have. There are so many things that you can argue about, but that would be, that would be my, my proposal anyway. Terrific. I, mean, I, I certainly agree with you when, when, when I do valuations of clubs, uh, the trophy asset factor 
always comes into play. Uh, if, if it's if a club is in a distressed position, yes, you can buy it for a pound. Traditional valuation methods simply don't work. So we have to make we have to invent our own in the world of football, and, and that's what we've done. Just just one final question, Oliver. Um, as 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 a club owner. Uh, as somebody involved at, at the executive level, um, and this is slightly on a more personal level, we saw at the weekend uh, the Bournemouth chief executive uh, buy his other half a £140,000 Bentley. Has that put pressure on you as to what you now have to go and buy your other half for Christmas? <laughs> um, not really, because because my, my wife, bless her, doesn't tend to watch Sky Sport News as much as I do and is, is blissfully unaware that that's the going rate for Christmas presents for um, sugar daddy owners. And, and she, she knows I'm a mean old git anyway and that she'll be lucky to get a, you know, to get a, some, sort of a, some sort of a bracelet from Ratners or whatever, whatever the equivalent is these days. Terrific. Okay, thank you so much, Oliver, for your time uh, and also for expanding upon the, the dissent uh, in, in respect to what's happening uh, in the National League. We, we have asked the National League uh, to, to, to respond, uh, to come on the show, but I don't think producer guys had a response. So we, we really appreciate your time and, uh, and, and giving up your expertise as well on, the, on this particular issue. You're very welcome. Thanks for taking an interest. You know what, Ken? I'm not going to lie. It's all a bit more civilised than I hoped it would be, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I'm not upset with you. It's just the things you... Oh, God, really? I thought you might have to... I thought it was hammer and tongs I was looking for. But um, it's interesting. I mean, anybody who disagrees with us, that's what we keep saying to Steve Dale and his people. We're, we're nice human beings. We, I just think it's a civilised thing to do. If you disagree with us, tell us. And we will discuss it. Um, yeah, I won't. I'll sulk because that's how I deal with things, basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm a classic advocate of, well, if you don't know why I'm upset, there's no point continuing this conversation. But we will, by all means, just get in touch with us. If you think we've, you know, you're, you're quick enough to do it when we put cities in the wrong country. So do, and we will talk. So but it's, it's uh, I mean, he, he had points to make, but I, I did genuinely think, Kieran, that we were on not his side necessarily, but that we agreed that the money was being distributed unfairly. So I was a little surprised to hear that he was um, so convinced that we were wrong. Well, I think all we'd, we'd said, uh, we'd been through the response from the National League. Yeah. And I think his issue was, wasn't with us, but because we'd actually effectively said, well, this is what the National League have just come out with. Um, clearly, there are very strong feelings. If you've got nine clubs in the National League uh, writing and, and requesting the, the resignation of, of Brian Barwick, yeah. that it is indicative of strong feelings. Mm. Um, you know, I, I just hope that this can be resolved. And as always, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Things have to be done quickly yeah. because... It looks as if clubs have managed to pay the November uh, wage bills, but it makes it that much more difficult under the present arrangements, which do appear to uh, have significant winners and significant losers mm. in terms of the distribution model, that how are they going to play the December wage bill? Yeah, well, I'm glad we're friends with Oliver anyway. That's the important thing. Um, now, remember, everybody, that I told you recently about our merchandise shop. Well, amazingly, it is still going. Uh, and now there's a brand new product on there uh, to commemorate Kieran's time 
in charge of Blackpool's finest late 20th century nighttime establishment, stickiest carpets on the northwest coast guaranteed, you can now get your very own French's T-shirt. Imagine fishing that out of your sack on Christmas morning, Kieran. Uh, we also we also have shirts with the Baron on the front and the Baroness on the back. Although my suggestion that we have the Baroness on the back of the French's T-shirt was apparently met with a very hard stare. Uh, <laughs> sadly, though, for contractual reasons too lengthy to go into on the pod, the mugs the mugs are no longer available for the time being. Um, contractual reasons too lengthy to go into is, I believe, producer speak for they didn't turn up. Uh, so, so if you live in Manchester and you see a bloke in a solid gold Jaguar wielding a baseball bat, that's going to be a guy looking for his money back, basically. And seriously, if you're the people who produce those mugs, I'd, I'd leg it quickly. Um, so you can't have a mug, but if you want a Frenchie's... <laughs> if, if you want a Frenchie, this I can't say this. I'm not... I, I can't... All right, I'll, I'll compose myself here, Kieran, and I'll say it because it's the season of goodwill. So if you want a Frenchie this Christmas... Or a T-shirt. Just click on the link in the show. We're middle-aged men, Kieran. Why are we expected to read this out? Just <laughs> click on the link. In the, I could refuse to do it. I'm a grown-up. Uh, just click. Uh, I'll start again. If you want a Frenchie this Christmas or a T-shirt, just click on the link in the show description in your podcast app. And we are running over, Kieran. So I will say to everybody, um, if you have any questions for us about any aspect of football or football finance, please email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and I'll hand you over to Kieran for his 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 brief two-word message, which is still pertinent even though lockdown two is over. Well, I think just before that, uh, people might be wondering about this nightclub in in Blackpool. I, I did run it in uh, in 1988 <laughs> uh, and it was the reason why I ceased to be an accountant because... Uh, I used to run all of the pubs and clubs in the northwest that went bust, and this club was in Blackpool. It was off season, so we didn't have a lot of people, um, and and stuff was going missing. Uh, so I, I used to go up there on a Friday and Saturday night, uh, check, do a stock count, uh, make sure all the money was put in the safe. And one night I was so hacked off because because stuff had, you know booze had been going. Uh, some people had been trying to get their way into the safe. I decided to to stay behind. So I, I had a baseball bat um, in my office because sometimes you would have discussions with the local drug dealers as to what and what was not acceptable. Um, so I thought I'd turn all the lights off, uh, wait to see if anything happens. And after 10 minutes, I, I, I sensed I could hear noises coming from the ladies' toilet. So I thought, okay, somebody's hiding in in the bogs and um, they're going to come back and nick the stuff, you know, because it had been going missing. So I, I told myself up. I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tall bloke. I'm a big lad, as you know. Uh, so I, I, I went screaming into the, the toilets uh, at full length with a baseball bat, um, only to find it wasn't thieves, but instead... It was the bounce, one of the bouncers with one of the young ladies who'd been at the nightclub. Um, and I, I can only describe that they were involved in an act of special cuddles, um, which, which also involved a wrongen, but a different type of wrongen to the one we normally talk about. Um, and I went in there screaming, I'm going to get you, you so-and-sos, or words to that effect. Uh, the bouncer withdrew. The woman who, I think it's fair to say, added a few to drink. Um, I can only describe to say, she evacuated herself all over his trousers, which were around his ankles. Um, and then he goes, 
oh, fucking hell, you've just got, am I going to explain this to the wife when I get back home? <laughs> and I looked a bit sheepish. He looked a bit sheepish and she was screaming. And at that moment, I decided to end my career as a chartered accountant. I thought this this wasn't what really what I signed up for. Yeah, and um, apart from that, stay safe, boys and girls. <laughs> and, uh, on, the, <laughs> on the highly unlikely <laughs> event that that story stays in the edit, uh, I would like to point out that that is not the picture on the T-shirt. Just so, just, 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 just so you know, bye, 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 bye everybody. Bye. Buy a son for the